Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where I ask various people to tell me the five things from their life that they would choose to preserve in a time capsule. They can pick anything they want, but they have to pick four things they cherish and one thing that they rather regret something they wish they could bury in the ground and never have to think about again. My guest in this episode is the award-winning actor Emma Fielding, who started her career at the RSC and the National Theatre, coming to everyone's attention in Tom Stoppard's Arcadia, for which she won the Critics Circle's Theatre Award for Most Promising Newcomer for creating the role of Thomasina. Her performance in The School for Wives at the Almeida won her the Ian Charlson Award, and she's twice been nominated for an Olivier Award, first for The School for Scandal and then Private Lives at the All Theatre London. This play transferred to Broadway, where she won a Theatre World Award for Outstanding Broadway Debut. She's been in a large number of films, such as A Woman of No Importance, The Other Man and Shooters, and has voiced quite a few video games, like Dragon Quest, Star Wars, Assassin's Creed and Warhammer. On TV, Emma has appeared in... Well, here's a sample of her work. Poirot, Kavanagh QC, A Dance to the Music of Time, The Mrs. Bradley Mysteries, The Life of Confucius, Big Bad World, The Inspector Linley Mysteries, Birthday Girl, My Uncle Silas, Waking the Dead, The Government Inspector, The Ghost Squad, Cranford, Midsummer Murders, Death in Paradise, Father Brown, DCI Banks, Silk, New Tricks, Foils War, This is England 90, Close to the Enemy, Dark Angel, Silent Witness, EastEnders, Unforgotten, Les Miserables, Doctor Who and Vandervolk, which she was actually filming when we spoke. Well, not actually filming, she was sitting in her hotel room, waiting to be called to film. So it was me here and her somewhere in the Netherlands. So let's hear what the delightful Emma Fielding would like to put in her time capsule. Tug. I'm not interested in you telling me about famous people you've known. I'm not interested in finding about the celebrities you've met or what your latest job is. What I'm interested mm. in is why are you you? Why do you think you're you? Oh, well, that's a... <laughs> How can anyone answer that consciously? You, no, you, well, you, know. you don't really, but you do it by the things that you choose. There's a bit... See, I'm going to talk about a play now, but only because mm. it make, helps me make sense of my life as well as work, is that uh, Time on the Conways, a great... J.V. Priestley, you see this golden family party and then it jumps forward and then you realise that some of the people you've got one, one's died and and then it 
jumps back to the past again. Mm. But in the bit in the future or the present, if you're treating it as a memory play, the, the very quiet brother who has a stammer, he's the one who hasn't left. Yes. And he's very quiet up until that point. Mm. And you just think, oh, you find yourself subconsciously making all sorts of judgments about him. And then suddenly he has this really remarkable speech about how can you tell who a person is? And he says, it's only when you get towards the end that you look back and you see all the different moments and things. I'm, I'm really badly paraphrasing you. <laughs> all the different moments. And you look back and it's only when you look back that you can see the shape of the whole person. Mm. And you can be completely different from moment to moment. Yeah. In the same way, you know, you can be different people in your life at different times. Things provoke different things from you. And, and you're not furious all the time. You're not <laughs> ludicrously happy all the time because you know that one day you'll be sad again. You know, it's all part of this massive great bowl of porridge that makes each person. Mm. OK, well, Emma, let's find out what, um, what oats make up your porridge then. <laughs> yeah. As we hear the first item to go into the time capsule. A cassette tape. Because um, there's lots of reasons. Well, firstly, it's very closely linked to my mother because I'm now an orphan. I'm part of the Orphans Club. <laughs> my friend said to me, you know, just after I'd lost, finally lost my mum, after I'd lost my dad, said, welcome to the club. It's your head above the parapet now. You go, oh, <laughs> oh my God. And you have to go, right, okay, that's it. And there's a great, obviously, sadness and everything. But equally, there's freedom. And it depends on your relationship with your parents. But I had even though I went away to school when I was like eight, um, a really, I think, good relationship with my parents. So I'm very lucky. You were brought up originally abroad, were you? And then sent to school? All in... over the place, really. Oh, right. Yeah, well, my dad was, you know, I'm an army brat. So, hmm. and with that comes great privilege and great confusion and everything <laughs> else. And my parents were also from very different backgrounds. And that was brilliant. My mum really bright, gorgeous woman, amazing family. Her and her twin got into grammar school. They were part of that first generation, the post-war, that possibility for, you know, being able to end up in a different place to where you started. Mm. Uh, so she got into grammar school, always really wanted to be a doctor. Mm. But her and her sister left school at 16 because, you know, money needed to be brought into the house. So, um, she went to work in a bank. Her sister went to be a civil servant. They both saved up and put themselves through teacher training college and then became no. teachers. And that's how she met my dad in Germany. He was a young, snotty army officer. <laughs> she was from the black country. Had to change her accent to be understood. And my dad yeah. was Scots and slightly to the left of the Tiller the Hun, but deeply kind. So it, it was very lively, Sunday lunchtime, <laughs> you know, the discussion. And the, but they understood each other and they had that. Their, their also, he converted from Church of Scotland to Catholicism just before he met my mum and she had faith. They, they, they were both very devout, but not proselytising. So I just remember there was one really strong memory I had. We were living in uh, northern Nigeria. My dad was working with the Nigerian army. It's this sort of weird thing that the British Army does. It's called loan service, where various people are dispatched to various training colleges in, in you know, remnants of what was the Empire or the mm. Commonwealth to teach them the ways of the British Army, which, <laughs> you know, good or bad, I don't know. I'll leave that out there. Mm -hmm. um, there was the coup after my dad was there. I'm not saying he was responsible. For it, but I think some <laughs> of his students were, you know, the parties were great because... You, you know, you're making your own entertainment. And I remember th there was a party, people whose garden backed onto ours. Mm. It was up in a place called Kaduna. We're having a party. And my mum was there with her, you know, she's a sort of hardcore smoker. And it's what it did for her in the end, but mm. it was a sort of form of protest. She didn't start, she was in her 20s. So she had a fag and she had a book and tonic and she heard the music. And it was like Pavlovich, she's right. I've got to go to the party. So I have <laughs> memories of her halfway over this sort of seven foot wall, not spilling a drop with a cigarette, being lured by Dancing Queen. And it uh. makes me laugh and laugh now. And so when it was coming to her funeral, I thought, you know, what songs? And she'd sort of brilliantly left what she'd like. So I knew I did, you know, the best I could do at the time. Um, so that the actual service was very austere, proper requiem mass. Uh, there's no readings, no nothing. You just have the things from the order of service. So you could pick 
which psalm you heard and all the rest of it. And the only thing you have is a, oh, what's the thing where you say how wonderful the person is? Eulogy. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I'd read at my father's funeral, but I couldn't, I, I didn't want to risk getting upset for my mother's mm. because I wanted it to be about her. So her final hurrah, when, you know, that awful noise of the, that the heat is going on and the curtain closing to cover mm. that, I thought we'll have dancing queen. <laughs> but of course I'd forgotten the first line is you can dance, you can die having the time of your life. Which, <laughs> and it's got that massive string, you know, run yeah. up and, oh my God, this is a bit, this is a bit overwhelming. Okay. No, just keep breathing. It's fine. It's a favorite song. And then the priest who could, he could obviously see something was going on and he's, and he was sort of slightly giggling. Was like, <laughs> is that appropriate? And he came up and said, I'm sure your mother would love you to have a boogie. And went away with his shoulders. And I was like, oh my God, a priest has just said the word boogie to me and it slightly unnerved me. But my gorgeous auntie next to me, Auntie Mo, got up and said, right, come on, come on. So we got up and we started sort of shuffling along to Dancing Queen in the crematorium. And then the other side of the aisle were all the people from the village in Hampshire, you know, a few lovely people, but mm. retired army people, people with, you know, red trousers and, and tweed jackets. <laughs> and and so I was shuffling along with my auntie and I thought other people would get up, but they didn't. <laughs> and it's a really long song. <laughs> it goes Oh, my God. So, uh, yeah. You don't know what music people have gotten them. You know, I used to see my dad in his dress uniform or in his thing or he'd just jumped out of an aeroplane. And 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 to a lot of my, particularly, you know, when I was starting out in the theatre or whatever, you know, and, oh, God, and when I was when I was 18, I had this awful boyfriend. And anyway, <laughs> he was like, oh, your dad's just part of the great British war machine and, you know, all of that. <laughs> you know, which he was, but... He loved Ginger Baker. And wow. so there was a sort of wild thing behind it. And he really liked John Lennon. And he had yeah. always George Harrison LPs and, and the Beatles and all the rest of it. So, but actually, if you are having a crisis, it's sort of comforting because mm. you go, this is what you're supposed to believe. But actually, if there isn't one, it's all right. And you won't know. You know. <laughs> and you're going to find out in a bit, aren't you? So, any minute now. <laughs> any minute. <laughs> Go towards the light. That's it. Well, I think so, probably the way to go is to dancing queen your way in. Turn up on the pearly gates. <laughs> and say, yes. Some Peter, come on, let's boogie. Let's boogie. Oh, that <laughs> word. Is, sort of, oh. is that a word your mother would never have used? I'm going she to wouldn't have said boogie, I don't think. I don't, no. I think I've ever heard her say it. <laughs> 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 well, Dancing Queen is in your time capsule, so that's your first item. How lovely. Thank you very much. Good old yes. Emma. Okay, let's Emma. move on to number two. Oh, right. Number two, I'd really like to have a bluebell wood, please. And it's got to have foxgloves in it because they're beautiful. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason for this is for five years in my life, I was very, very lucky to be... Well, you wouldn't say owner, I'd say custodian of about seven acres of bluebell wood. Oh, wow. And it was idyllic. I look back and I can't quite believe that I lived there. Mm. And I'd come from, you know, Camberwell with this postage stamp paved garden. And then suddenly I was in quite a rural area and it was just about commutable, but the reason that we, you know, as two freelancers in the arts could afford it was because it wasn't quite commutable enough, as we <laughs> discovered as we went on. But this house with land and part of the land was this wood. And I learnt, my mum had always been a really mad keen gardener. I never, I just like sort of rolled my eyes and go, oh, I'll help. But, and then suddenly I got it. I think it, there's that thing about, you know, English women, it's God or gardening, isn't it? When you hit 40 <laughs> and I was like 38 ended up in this place and I thought, God, I've got to look after it. And I still had my city head on. And what it makes you do is you realise that stuff lives, stuff dies. You learn, it teaches you. And I learned about gardening and it's, I get it now. And it's sort of in my bones. I'm not very good at it. I sort of, if something dies, I don't worry about it. I've got my book, Plants for Places. So you go, oh, this likes a shady spot. And then you start reading the ground you've got. But this place every day, 
walking through this wood and then getting to know the seasons and then getting to know every plant there and getting to know the names of trees and it had so in spring before the bluebells started coming out you'd have wood anemones and it was like snow everywhere didn't have much wild garlic but stuff like stitchwort and daffodils brambles and all the different ferns and fungus and primroses and bracken and (laughs) and it had been coppiced years ago for um because where we were it was heavy clay and there was a sort of pond in the woods that they think the bricks for the house we were living in were dug out and there was a lot of hornbeam there it burns really long and hot it's a great wood so I learned to identify trees and But it was a gentle process. And I think because it slowed me down in a way that I don't think I ever had before. um, I don't think I would have had my son if I hadn't been living there Mm. because he sort of arrived. And every day when he was tiny and you're a bit mental when you just had a baby (laughs) (laughs) through the woods and he would be looking and it was August. He'd be looking up at the leaves and, you know, taking around this place and and the animals. I swear this is true. I was walking through and I must have been about eight months pregnant. And I was lucky. I had a really great time. I wasn't sick, more energy than, you know, he was two weeks late. And I I thought, oh, for God's sake. So I ended (laughs) up walking up. There's the long man of Wilmington, you know, we've got that that chalk etching where he's holding two poles. Some people think it might have been a woman at one point, but, you know, know, there's all sorts of pagan stuff going on around it. Anyway, so the day before he started arriving, I thought, oh, sod this. So I walked up there, you know, had a curry because I didn't want to be induced because that's really sore. But when I was heavily pregnant, I was walking through and flash, I thought, what's that? And I looked and I swear I saw a white squirrel. It wasn't a stoat. It wasn't a weasel. It was squirrel sized. It was halfway up a tree. And there was no one with me. I never saw it again, but I knew that's what I saw. Yeah. Yeah, no, and no, be no. The- Near us yeah. is Knoll Park, and if you walk through it, you will see all the deer, and then suddenly a completely white deer, because uh, it's just wow. an albino. It's more common than you think. I like the idea that you want this wood to go in there with all its seasons, not just a bluebell wood when the bluebells are out. Because actually just before yeah. the bluebells come out and there is that green carpet of the leaves before the blue flower bursts through, that's yes. gorgeous as well, isn't it? Yeah, and mm. it's this fierce green. Mm. And there's nothing... People talk about, oh, this romantic English countryside and it's all beautiful, <laughs> but it's not. It's fierce. Mm. Everything's really fighting. And, you know, sort of Darwin in action. Everything's struggling for survival. And and they've all know, found their place. So, so that thing that, like you say, you want a foxglove. But that happens once the other plants have gone. The foxglove yeah. comes through. And then yeah. the brambles start to grow and growing fruit. But at the same time, the ferns grow because they can grow to a, a height that gives them yeah. light above the brambles. If you want to start believing in God, then maybe a bluebell wood is the thing that would inspire you because it looks well, so this- organised. Well, everything's in harmony. But also we occasionally we had it happened twice when we were living there. A couple of people would turn up, bang up, knock on the door and go, hello, we're from the council. And they were always slightly excited. And they were doing a survey of that part of the country, um, looking at maps and looking at old maps and looking at because designated ancient woodland has to be over a certain acreage. Right. Apparently for it to be designated as ancient woodland. But they were looking at old maps and looking at little you know, Shaw's, S-H-A-W, you know, because those bits, even though they weren't designated, if they'd been in a map a certain amount of time, chances are they're ancient woodland. And they used to come and say, can we look around your wood? We think it might be ancient. And we're like, yeah, (laughs) great. And of course, it had absolutely all the signifiers because, you know, for that amount of bluebells to arrive, that's a very long time. And the anemones were sort of almost more, more of a signifier. And then round the edge of the land, that we had, it suddenly stopped and it was wooded, but it was different. There mm-hmm. were no bluebells, you know, there was a line and they got very excited. There was one tree that I remember when my son was growing up, he used to sit on because it, it started off going vertically and then, you know, big fat trunk. And then the big fat trunk would go horizontally for almost about as long as it was high, huh. very peculiar. And they, because that, they told us, is evidence. And when you look at it, you go, yeah, of course it is. Because it was right on the edge of the land where there was a ditch. It's evidence of an old laid hedge. So I, I love the way that they could read the land. I thought, oh, yes. And then, it, and also what it gives you is it, it makes you look at things differently. 
you have to get your sort of country eye in. Like, you know, when you're with kids, they go, oh, look at that rabbit over there. And you go, what rabbit? And you go, mm. oh, that. You have to tune your your senses in to the yeah. sounds and the smells, but visually. One of my grandchildren has become a complete expert on woodlands because they've Brilliant. just walked, they've walked in it every day. They've walked in the woods and he knows everything about it. And the thing that I really love is walking along. He'll very casually say, flying spider. You say, what? He said, flying spider. I said, where? And then he says, there, there. And you look very carefully yeah. and there's a spider on a web lowering itself from a leaf down through the sky. And it looks like it's flying because the web is just a single thread. Yeah. That will stay with him forever as well. Mm-hmm. And, but but also having been out of the city for 14 years in various places and then having come back, that exactly what you just talked about, the seeing thing. If you apply that country eye to looking around a city, you experience it in a completely different way because you've literally had your eyes open by living in the countryside. You don't shut that down again. You look at it in a different way, mm. I, I found. And engaging with people in a different way. I was always yeah. brought up in rural places, all the army bases, always rural, always say hello. Mm-hmm. And because my mum was from the black country, I remember getting on buses with her and we'd go to Walsall for the days or, or Birmingham, which was even more exciting. We were staying with my grandma and she'd chat to people and I'd get <laughs> off the bus and, I, you know, I had my posh boarding school head on. I'd go, mum, did you, mommy, did you know that person? She'd go, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, so embarrassing. You know? But that notion of just talking to people, and I do that now. Even when I was living in Camberwell, there was a gang of lads who were quite troubled. But if I ever saw them, I always, I'd always say hello. And then they'd be like Kathy Burke and Carrie would go, yeah, hello. And, and <laughs> you, you yeah, getting to know your community. I think it's, it's, and under lockdown, I think that's happened for more and more people because it's been, you've been forced into your little urban village. Groups of young people almost go through life as if everybody else can't see them. They're not interested in them. Or immediately judging them or thinking they're Mm. going to do something wrong. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, just because someone's, you know, there was a time when my my son always had his hood up. And I knew that was just because he he quite liked having his hood up. Well, actually, sometimes it's because you're really sensitive and there's too much noise. You want to have your hood up because it's just like, oh, oh, that's better. Mm -hmm. Or, Or if you're self conscious or. You know, and people seeing that as something sinister. It's And if everybody keeps looking at people as if they are sinister, I think it can make people sinister. I think they go, okay, well, all right, if that's what you think of me, that's what I'll be. So yeah. I think that a, a friendly good morning to people, and almost certainly, as you say, their reaction will be, what, from a bunch of lads? You go, morning, and they go, oh, yeah, morning. And it's like you see them realising, actually, that, you know, yes, I know you're there, and I don't mind. Because if you're treated in a certain way, you find yourself man- trying to manage other people's fears, don't you? Mm. And a young man saying he'd stop smiling at old people because he was just tired of always being judged and thought he was going to do something bad. And he'd always found himself going, it's all right, it's all right, I'm not a threat, I'm not a threat. And then after a while, he just thought, I'm, I'm just tired. Mm. <laughs> and I completely understand that. It's like I say, you sort of make people what you think they are. Keep treating people a certain way, then they eventually go, well, why should I bother? Why should I bother trying to, you know, it just it just separates people. Yeah. I think we'd all be fine if we could go for a walk in your lovely wood once a day. <laughs> that would be, that would be what a great world that is. Yeah. And I love well, the idea yeah. of, of that pond being dug out in order to make the bricks and then having the coppiced wood that burns really hot. So almost certainly was hot. probably used in order to bake those bricks. Yeah. So it, the whole and, thing yeah. has that history to it, which is just... And there's a, a cyclical nature, and, and the place produces the architecture because you go, oh, we've got the clay, we've got the wood, let's make some bricks rather than building it out of Watland's organ wood or, or whatever. Mm. Um, but there's a dark side to it, which I love because they've got a gothic thing going on somewhere. You know, so all its beauty and, and then this this fight, this fight in spring and you could see it. And there were two things. I remember getting a call from this lovely woman who used to help the previous owner who was quite elderly with the house. And Come, come, I've seen something really amazing, really amazing. What? what? Said, no, just come quick. And there was a snake halfway through devouring this toad. <laughs> so it had unclicked its jaw, the snake. But the toad was still alive and Ah. with its fangs oh my god and it was absolutely fascinating 
it was mesmeric because you thought I'm, you're not going to intervene because this is like nature in it so um <laughs> and then I did go back later and the toad was fine I think the snake had given up because it was absolutely massive this toad it did have two <laughs> like teeth marks in its back because you know they grab on and then gradually I think it literally bit off more than it could chew so spat it out but the most sort of roll doll Stephen King once because there was a, a big field and used to walk across this well-trodden path to the wood so in a hot day you'd walk across and then you'd get in the cool of the wood and it's just it was like night and day it was amazing but walking across and I saw this blob on the floor I thought oh, what's that and I looked and it's a mouse and it looked absolutely perfect and it was on its back dead and then I looked closer and something it was probably a crow or something there was a hole in its chest <laughs> and just it's lit. I swear to God, it's little heart was oh. missing. You can romanticise nature, <laughs> but that's pretty unequivocal. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all part of the circle of life. But they wouldn't show that in a Disney film, would they? No. Mind you, they did push lemmings off a cliff, which is not, doesn't happen in nature. Apparently, they, they killed Bambi's They did mom. it for the shot. Well, all nature will be in your book. <laughs> And it'll be a all proper... Nature. I'm all cheating, nature. really, aren't I? Yes, in it goes. That's item number oh. two. What's number three? Right, we have to interrupt this chat for a while for some advertising to help to pay for my lavish lifestyle. But we'll be back with the lovely Emma Fielding very soon. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to part two of My Time Capsule with me and my guest, Emma Fielding. Let's find out what else she would like to preserve in her time capsule. Number three is a Cuban Chinese meal, which is a cuisine I didn't know existed until I went to live and work in another city. And I've only done this once there and one day maybe, but, you know, I've still got my own hips, but. (laughs) chances are it won't happen again um i went to live and work in new york for five months right and i was daunted and it was the spring after september the 11th had happened so it was a city in shock and you just Mm. and the world had it felt at the time like things had changed sort of seismically that some sort of tectonic something big had happened and and that terror in london even of of helicopter any helicopter anything above your head Mm. Do you remember in the immediate aftermath? Yes. And I, don't, I think that, that's forgotten really, really quickly. And, you know, before we knew the full details and the pictures and everyone saying it's like a movie and because that's the only way we could process it. Mm. And going home and I happened to switch on the telly and the second plane was just hitting. And no. It, it just, yeah, it's just too much to comprehend. And so to go to the city, I'd been a couple of times before just like on holiday and stuff or for jaunts, very luckily. And it's the sort of place you get out and you go, oh, I've been here before. But of course you haven't. You've just seen it. Every film, every <laughs> television programme, you see a yellow taxi and go, yeah, I know it. But of course you don't. No. Don't at all. It is a new city. And, and the privilege of going to work in another city, 
So you sort of get to see backstage, you get to see behind the curtain, you don't see the party dress and the what's laid out for you when you're a tourist. You mm. get a tiny glimpse into what makes that city as opposed to what makes your city. And initially it was terrifying because it was really fast. It took me a good two weeks to get going. And then a friend of my then boyfriend lived there and was showed us around and said, oh, we well, got to go to this place and that place. And she was... Um, she was very Hispanic and, and flamboyant and gorgeous. And she said, you got to try Cuban Chinese. I was like, I beg your pardon? What's that? <laughs> and so she took me to this place and it was four mica tables and strip lighting and and the most gorgeous, sticky, sweet, ridiculously calorific, gorgeous food I think I've ever tasted. And I just loved <laughs> it for the, to my English sensibility. I mean, what a fusion. And of course it was to do with Cuba and Chinese community coming over from there. But like any city, and a city like New York is like instantly, once I got the hang of it and realised people weren't rude, they're sort of really courtly and really polite in a way that they aren't. So when people say have a nice day, they mean it. And when as an English person, you go in and you go, oh, please, may I have, if it's not too much trouble, I'd like um, a white coffee. What do you want? A a white frothy coffee with a, a... you just use too much language. They go, what do you want? What do you want? Yeah. And, and then you see people and they go, something, something, something to go, please. They always say please. And they uh-huh. always say thank you. It's just time. Come on. You know, mm. we, and then people used to come up and go, who are you? What are you about? And you go, oh, but they mean it. And they're genuinely interested. The only other place I felt that to that degree is Glasgow, where I went to drama school, where I went to college, you know. And it's a very similar city. It is a port. There's massive communities coming and going. It's a grid system. People are like, who are you? What are you about? Tell me your story. Come <laughs> and have lunch. And you go, okay, no, I mean it. Come and have lunch. And you go and have lunch. And you. Whereas when I first moved to London, having spent three years, gloriously years in Scotland, and my dad's from there, so it was like coming home. And I couldn't get into London drama schools. I tried for three years, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you go where the best place is for you. And yeah. I got out for my day's audition because they did everything on one day. Got out of Central Station, opened up my A to Z, and I, two people stopped straight away and said, where do you want to go? The same in New York, absolutely the same. And when I moved to London and she was like, hi, great to meet you. Here's my number. Yeah, let's do lunch. I would wait for the call. <laughs> <laughs> and weeks and weeks waiting. and go, Oh, okay. I mean, I've only been to New York once in my life and I was only there for, I think, a weekend. And it was absolutely freezing and the snow was, was so deep. There were sort of pathways on the sidewalks. Yeah. And then all the cars were buried under snow because they'd just been snow ploughing it and just you couldn't move the cars. And we came yeah. to a junction and we were crossing the road. Of course, our time zone was completely wrong and I was walking through New York at uh, sort of three o'clock in the morning with my wife and children and a, a taxi stopped. He said, where are you going? And I said, oh, we're just going for a walk. He said, no way, get in. And I went, well, um, he said, get in. The, Jesus, what's wrong with you? Get in the back. <laughs> and he took us in. He said, I'll drive you around. So he drove us around until he got a fare. Oh, Isn't that amazing? Yes. Because he said, it's too cold. It's too dangerous. Stop it. Get in the back of the cab. And get I, I think it's car. lovely. Mm. But also the pride in the city, wanting to show you the city, wanting yeah. to look after a traveller. That to me, sort of, a, <laughs> you know, and, and, and someone I was working with always said, oh, it's a New York moment. Where I was working near Times Square with, you know, the man in his pants playing the guitar, the naked mm. cowboy and the <laughs> lights and Broadway. And, uh, so you think, no, I've got to, I've got to inhale this because it might, it, it won't happen again. And it was summer. So it was that tropical heat that I remember from being a kid in like, Malaya and all the other places, yeah, that mm. heat where you can never get, you're always wet. Because mm. I used to walk from Midtown and I was staying down in the West, when I think about it now, yeah, I was staying in the West Village. You think, oh my <laughs> God, you were so lucky. And there was a nice cake shop around the corner called the Magnolia Baker. I used to get a cake every night. Oh. <laughs> I didn't realise at the time that these are sort of quite potent symbols for some people. <laughs> going, yes. Oh, there's nice cake. Oh, they're queuing, it must be good. What happened to them? <laughs> And so I used to walk from Midtown on my own, felt perfectly safe, actually. That's the other thing. Then, I mean, I know maybe 10, 15 years previously might not have been as safe, but I'd come from Glasgow. I'd lived in East London, London, lived in Campbell, lived in, 
but you can minimise your risk, obviously. I'm not recommending mm. people walk around. Everyone I know who happens to be female, and a lot of men too, you walk around with your keys in your fist. And I used to have, in London, can you believe this? Because I'd read somewhere, <laughs> <laughs> if you roll up a newspaper into a point. Right. Actually, it's quite sharp. <laughs> so if you have a newspaper, so I had the keys in my newspaper, I'm Shira, princess of power. I can yeah. take on the world. <laughs> but no, it's, you know, self-delusion. But it, what it, that does is give you a confidence. But I used to walk all the way down on my own and stop off at the Cuban Chinese in the neon glow, sweating mm. cobs. And then every time I'd walk down the top of Ninth Avenue near the meatpacking, this man used to scuttle out and go, do you like to party? First time I was like, what? Do you like to party? First time I didn't quite hear what he said. I said, no, I don't want to go to a party. Thank you very much. I was just like the queen. And then it was only after the next day, I said, this man asked me to a party last night. I was like, Emma, Emma what did he say? He said, he said, do you like to party? And he was trying to sell you drugs. I was like, oh, oh. All right. So every time, then afterwards, he said, do you like to No, thank you. Have a nice evening. That, that was obviously the response he'd never had. Mm. So he sort of left me alone after all. <laughs> but she, yeah. She's very high on something. Jesus she's Christ. deranged. This woman, I don't know what she's taking, but I want some of it. Turns yes. you into a member of the royal family. It's yeah. marvellous. Oh, my God. You just reminded me, the, oh, that's the only time I've had a review where it said that I couldn't do a British accent to save my life. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I've never yeah. had Cuban Chinese food, but it does sound, well, beguiling. Deep fry, lots of chilli, ginger. Oh, it sounds <laughs> as if combining Cuban and Chinese makes Thai, almost. Probably not quite as delicate, but maybe it's evolved. <laughs> maybe it's evolved since, you know, this was 20 years ago, I'm talking, yeah. so it might have evolved. <laughs> well, it's in your time capsule. You. A lovely takeaway, kept nice and warm. Away. I have to keep it away from the cassette because it might ruin it. From the Dancing <laughs> Queen. I think I would like that in cassette form, actually. Yeah. Because you'd have it in the, yeah. So we're moving okay. on to item number four. Now, the next thing I would like to put one of my tattoos in, please. <laughs> and how many do you have? I have three. Um, two of them are recent. One was from the late 90s when I, oh God, it's such a cliche. That's what I can't forgive myself for. <laughs> I was in Key West. Yeah. Right. I'd just been on the back of a Harley from the Florida Keys up to Miami. Wow. And we arrived at this hotel and we looked like, we didn't look very clean. And my then partner had long hair and a beard and sort of looked like a hell's angel. And I'd been on the back of this thing. Do you know it's possible to fall asleep on the back of a Harley at 70 miles an hour? <laughs> I discovered. I it's about not it advisable. My... Oh, my God. But but the one we were on, it was like sitting on a massive great armchair. So you're safe and you can't communicate. And if he was going too fast, I used to headbutt the back of his helmet. That was... <laughs> and, and I don't remember falling asleep. I just remember waking up. Wow. That was amazing. <laughs> so anyway, I, it's, uh, oh God, I'd forgotten that. Anyway, so he was quite a keen fisherman. So we took a boat out. And when I say I caught a fish, I mean, when you hire a boat, I think it's the person who hires the boat. It's their job to make you look like you've caught the fish. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So I caught a kingfish, which is like a massive great mackerel. And then I had a few drinks to celebrate and then they chop it up and then you get it cooked and, you know, it's lovely. Mm. Um, so obviously I was sort of <laughs> Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> so the only other thing to do was to get a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> to celebrate it by marking your body for the rest of your life. For the rest of my life. And uh, yeah. And is it a fish? So, it's not a fish. It's, oh God, this is more cliche. It's a Chinese, of course it's a Chinese symbol. Because <laughs> I was going, I didn't even have an original idea. I was going through the catalogue. You know, that's how bad it was. And it's supposed to say, I think it says, mm. Courage. And it's just at the bottom of my back. But it's, it's, of course, it's getting a bit blurry now. Um, and I don't have to look at it, so that's fine. Um, but it could say anything. And I've never shown anyone who can read Chinese. I went to Hong Kong 
when I was quite yeah. young, and they were always selling those shirts with Chinese symbols on. And <laughs> and you would look, and I think several times somebody's said to me, uh, I'd say, what does that say? And they'd say, that say is it peace and love? I'd say, right. And what does that one say? And they'd say, oh, that's freedom. I was always suspicious that, in fact, what they read for the entertainment of anybody who could speak Chinese or read Chinese was they actually said, I'm a stupid foreigner. Yeah, or <laughs> kick me, or loosely, or something, you know. So that's why I've never... So I just have to believe that's what it mm. said. But it's not that one I want to put it. Okay. It's, it's, it's this. I don't even see. Oh, it's right. One, which oh. looks like I've biroed on my arm. And in fact, someone said to me, said, why have you scribbled on your arm? I said, no, it's permanent. <laughs> but I love it. And a smiley face. Behind, it's with, two and smiley faces. What's on the side? A yeah. little smiley face and a big a li- Yeah. And it's slightly... So I was away and um, my son came to stay and he was about eight and he... At the time, and, and he still does occasionally, he used to draw these smiley faces everywhere, you know, mm. and he came to stay and then he left and I was just like... Oh you know feeling a bit sad and so I thought, oh no I'll go and have a shower so I went and had a shower and I got out the bath and on the bathroom mirror it was covered in these smiley faces oh. so he was like in the room and I and the next time I spoke to him I said excuse me it's <laughs> like yes mum I said you know you those smiley faces you drew in the mirror and he went yeah he said did you know that I'd see them after you'd gone when I got out of the shower and he went yeah and I just thought oh my god that's brilliant Mm. but also the fact that he's learning the long form gag which is a great skill to have (laughs) the age of it so he left this present for me so I asked his permission and I said look I'm thinking of getting a tattoo and he went oh it's cool mum cool I was like, oh, okay. So he's not completely horrified and I said what I'd like you to do you remember when you drew on the mirror he said could you do it big and don't worry about if it's neat or not. Just draw it how you draw it. And so when I went to the woman in the tattoo shop, I said, and I was thinking of having bubbles up my arm, because to me, that's his face, just the one. Yeah. I said, right, I would like you to do it exactly as it's drawn. So it's all squiffy, the one eye, and it overlaps there, and it's mm-hmm. not a circle. And I said, I think I'd like bubbles. And she was brilliant. She said, well, I'll do one, and then I'll do a little one, and then see what you think. Because she sort of knew. She knew her stuff. And then I looked, I thought, Oh, that's perfect. That's me and him. And it's not that I'm ever, of course, I don't forget him. You know, he's in my bones no. and wherever I am. And it's hard at moments in my way. And yeah, but, you know, obviously that's a choice, but it's pragmatic. My mum always worked, I'm working, blah, blah, blah. But um, it just reminds me of all of that, the long form gag. And, you know, I was separated from my parents, but they were sort of always with me. Mm. But I think, yeah, I just like that with me, please. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a lovely tattoo. I don't have any tattoos and I've always thought, well, I think I probably won't. Because actually I don't, what I don't like is is sort of not a very good artist drawing a ship on someone and making it permanent. If people are doing it in the moment and it's whatever whatever you feel the need to do. I suppose so, but I, it doesn't um, work for me. But that does work. That <laughs> That makes complete sense. It is a really lovely tattoo. I'm going to put that into the time capsule. You'll have that forever. So we've got one final thing to put in, which is something you want to get rid of. Right. Well, I would like to put, I'd like to put Twitter in the bin. I was going to say all social media. And I I, I do Facebook and Twitter. I do tweet. Mm-hmm. Facebook initially was a way of keeping in touch with people. And I'm very rigorous, I think, of only letting myself be befriended because, oh, will that really be my friend? It's like straight back to the playground. It's horrific. And I had to curate it because after a while it can feel like, you know, those awful round robins people used to send out at Christmas when so-and-so has just got their masters and so-and-so is playing with the concert orchestra with the cello and, you know, this high achievement that these, these families did. And Facebook can be like that. Yes. And you know that everyone's dying inside. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, there's pictures of step for children going, hashtag blessed, wonderful. Blah, blah. And you go, I know you're not very happy because I talked to you about it in the playground. And, and of course, all these things, you curate it, don't you? And then with Twitter, I had to go on it. Well, I didn't have to. I was, we were instructed. I was doing a, a job and they said, right, you've got to get all your social media in. Uh, yeah. And uh, these are the best time for traffic. 
And uh, if you tweet at uh, eight a.m. and five p.m. because that's like commuting hours, and that's when you get the most traffic, most hits. But and and a lot of the cast were in their seventies, <laughs> and we were summoned before the show for this meeting with the producers, and we were all sitting there. And, and then one of the voices at the back, who was in his eighties, just went, "What the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> because it was, it was nonsense. Basically, what they were saying is we're stuffed financially unless we get more audience in. <laughs> and if they just said that, we want to go, okay, we'll invite more friends. Yeah. So I, that's my, that was my introduction to it. And I was mystified by it. And then I became absolutely fascinated. It is like scrawling on the toilet door in crayon. <laughs> and there is never any nuance, of course. And I know that. And I had to learn not to engage with certain things or, you know, cause it's like having someone shouting at you in your handbag or, you know, if you, have use your phone as your alarm, which I know you're not supposed to. It's that rage is next to your head when you go to sleep. It's really, it's not good. Mm. Um, and also because it's in the same typeface, everything has the same weight and uh. the same level of authority. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm talking to someone who, who used to, you know, if you're reading newspapers and, and just remember sending my first email because it was typed, it suddenly looked like I knew what I was talking about or because it was published do, mm-hmm. do you know? Yes, I do, yes. And so you really have to read things carefully. And the way it is like a flock of birds, everyone will suddenly have this opinion or be very mm. performative about their opinion. Suddenly you'll find one thing will catch fire and it'll have 100,000 shares or retweets. And you think, yes. why, why is it that one statement that everybody's caught on to? It's, it's being used as a tool. So you curate it. It's a tool. You can choose how to use it. You can choose how to interact with people. Mm-hmm. I've also found wonderful artists, makers, naturalists. You can find green corners of it and you can yes. find musical corners of it. I think out of the, you know, the thousands of tweets that I've done, the replies I've had, just occasionally somebody will say, oh, I don't think they're very funny or I don't like that person. You go, well, okay, I don't know why you felt you needed to tell me that. <laughs> You know, I mean, thanks very much. Good, you know. But generally people say, oh, great. Oh, I love them. Oh, they're good. Or what a great interview. I really enjoyed it. And you think how sweet of them to take the time to bother to tell me. So, in fact, my experience with Twitter is that actually it's a really pleasant community of people who are interested in similar things to me. And I don't really go anywhere else with it. I think that's best. You know, you have to find your tribe. Over time, you can form relationships of sorts with people you know you yeah. find common interests and you mm-hmm. and there are a few people that I would really love to meet and have a cup of tea with and chat and I'm sure that will happen at some point mm. but it's the noise it's the tweets it's the chorus of birds <laughs> because if you take on everything you can spend a lot of the day outraged or, and some things are deliberately written to trigger you so now mm. I think if something creates quite a strong emotional response instantly take a step back and then think why is it being published? Why are we getting that information now? Who is weaponizing that thing? You know, it, it's, mm. it's so transparently crass with you know, some of our dear, dear, the people in power, dear leaders, um, when <laughs> everyone who's obviously the memo's gone out and they're told, say, oh, no, I think you're doing a really great job. Keep on keeping on hashtag something. And everyone <laughs> writes the same thing. And you go, oh, my God, you really think we are that stupid? And the thing is, most people aren't stupid, but they don't have time to look through and see there are 150 tweets saying the same thing. Well, I think it's very important to not turn on what they call push notifications. I've never done that. and and, uh, Well, it's so that it tells you when somebody's left you a message. So you can spend all day with it just pinging away. And then if it doesn't ping, how would you feel if if you just went hours and nobody's even thought of you? I mean, It's like WhatsApp, isn't it? (laughs) So-and-so left the group. (gasps) Oh, my God. The ultimate sin. <laughs> you can't do it anonymously. <laughs> I, I love having the idea of having WhatsApp groups that will go back to, you'll sort of go, oh, my God, all those people are dead. Actually, you've just, you know, the, the thing about Facebook is, you know, obviously I'm at an age when we're getting the first wave of contemporary deaths, you know. Mm-hmm. And if the family want to keep, the profile of the dead person on. Initially, I just thought, oh, that's a bit weird when it first happened. And that was mm. a good 10 years ago. But now it's, I think it's rather wonderful because on birthdays mm-hmm. and at Christmas or someone said, oh, I was just thinking about you today. Uh, I think that, that's that been a, a real surprise 
unreal. And also I remember being in one rehearsal and really slagging off something. And the woman who was running the rehearsal quite right said, I've got to stop you there. I said, what? She said, you know, I grew up in a very remote rural area. There was no one like me. I struggled on so many levels. And if it hadn't been for Facebook and finding like-minded people, I don't know if I'd still be here. So that absolutely quite rightly chastened me because I would have gone off on one. Mm. And I went, oh God, yeah, of course. So you can find your tribe. Yes. But I think with Twitter, there's just too much noise. And I'm saying that as someone who is addicted to it. (laughs) So that's why I want to put it in the bin. Okay, then we will. (laughs) And I'll do it for you so that anybody else who wants to use it, it's fine. But for you, it's gone. Thank you. You're very welcome. (laughs) (laughs) lovely to hear the things you want to put into a time capsule thank you for giving me your time and uh, talking to me across the waters well how lovely you have been listening to my time capsule with me Mike Fenton Stevens and my guest the actor Emma Fielding please do subscribe to this podcast so you can be informed of all new episodes as they become available. We've some lovely people coming up, so I can promise it's worth it. It also helps us enormously. So does rating the show, if you get the opportunity, and maybe even going out of your way to write a short review for the benefit of others who may be trying to decide whether or not to listen to this podcast. I hope you feel it's worth encouraging them. You can follow me or my time capsule on Twitter. Well, you can, obviously. Emma has buried Twitter in the ground, so she can't take part anymore. But you're free to retweet or comment on any of our posts. We enjoy the interaction, actually. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. This was a cast-off production for Acast, but we're also available on all major podcast players. The theme tune by Pass the Peas Music is available in full on Spotify. Our producer was John Fenton Stevens. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our trip across the water to Holland to chat with Emma as she sat in her hotel room waiting for Van der Velk to call. It's strange how much free time you get on trips like that, but often there isn't much you can do apart from walk around wherever you happen to be. Still, the Netherlands are very lovely. A few years ago, I suppose you may have bumped into a mate of mine, Philippe de Flop, who invented sandals, and also he invented the inflatable shoe. Yeah, sadly, shortly afterwards, he popped his clogs. Poor Philippe. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.